Hey there, welcome to the Happy Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Norrie. I like to talk health and well-being every Monday and Thursday. We've got over 260 episodes in the Happy Habit archive, so something for everyone in there. And if you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and sharing. Yes, telling somebody who you think might get value from this podcast series. Also, my book, Happy Habits for Mind and Body, available now on Amazon in ebook, audiobook, and softback formats. Well, regular listeners will know I swim outdoors and am fond of my cold showers. But the whole practice of swimming in cold showers is something that has enjoyed a huge increase in popularity in recent years, especially during the pandemic. Many people attest to the benefits they experience from merely taking a dip in the open water, but especially so in the winter months. And as it happens, I discovered a new book by Danish researcher Dr. Susanna Soberg called Winter Swimming, in which she details her own relationship with cold water and her exhaustive studies of cold water swimmers and the research surrounding exposure to cold water, which supports benefits both physically and mentally for those who take a dip. The author herself tells us that she always found cold water difficult to endure, but now she has become a winter swimmer through cold habituation over time. And everyone has this same ability. It's simply a question of mindset. But why swim in the winter in the cold in the first place? Well, the answers lie in the physical, psychological and social and natural aspects of winter swimming. And this was a key motivation for her writing this book. She wanted to prove or disprove scientific claims made about winter swimming in an effort to demystify it once and for all. The cold makes you feel great during the good times, but even better during the bad times, as people found out during the pandemic. There is no medication or indeed anything else that will shock you out of your head and back into your body quite like cold water exposure can. And it's this theme that returns again and again in the book. The author investigates the immediate and long-term effects of cold water immersion. Indeed, the author achieved her PhD in metabolism, specialising in winter swimming and in a thing called brown fat. What is brown fat, I hear you ask? Well, it's fat that is activated by cold water and it generates heat, which leads to increased calorie burning. Incredibly, as a result of brown fat, there is the potential to treat obesity and type 2 diabetes, which means cold water swimming has some serious health potential. Anecdotes about the health-enhancing effects of cold water date back several millennia. It was Hippocrates who first said that water therapy reduced violence. Thomas Jefferson himself took a daily cold bath. Scottish physician James Curry in the 18th century, after witnessing a drowning accident at sea, investigated the effects of cold water on humans. And he was the first person to discover that cold water stimulated our central nervous system. Winter swimming and dipping encourage inner focus, meditation and enhanced well-being, as well as being a social activity. Winter swimming is the very opposite of overconsumption and sitting in front of the computer. It's literally intoxicating. It brings us closer to nature and it soothes us. 
Nature operates in slow motion compared to how we orchestrate our busy, technology-filled lives. Cold water activates the body while turning down the noise in our brains. It allows us to shift our focus away from the negative thoughts to concentrating entirely on what is happening right in the moment as the shock of that cold water captures our focus completely, providing a moment of reset, our very own control-alt-delete opportunity as the brain is rebooted and re-energised. This positive energy most probably comes from an increase in neurotransmitters, dopamine and serotonin, which help control mood and provide mental balance, all of which can be used in self-development and can be channeled into other areas of our lives. The author mentions one man who washed away his tendency to engage in road rage through literally engaging in winter swimming. Cam is one benefit of cold water exposure, but there are so many others. Plus, every swim will be different depending on the day, the time, the weather conditions, so it never gets mundane. Avoiding the cold is commonplace today, given our ability to use technology to do that. But exposing yourself to cold is the only way you can overcome the cold. And the best way to do this is through habituation which builds resilience to the cold, and this perseverance and toughening can then be carried into other areas of your life. Many countries around the world have a tradition of engaging in winter swimming, or air dipping, or ice swimming, or bathing in waters at very low temperatures. Some do this for religious purposes in order to cleanse the body. Others do it for perceived health benefits. Indeed, cold water exposure is done in tandem with heat exposure in some countries where saunas are used, as is the case in Finland, which incredibly has one sauna for every two people in its five million Finnish population. Cold water exposure offers a mental and physical challenge with many rewards. Overcoming that initial mental barrier gives you resources and confidence to overcome other obstacles. The important thing is one needs to train yourself in cold water exposure, similar to a need to train yourself in any other area of life. Ideally, the best time to start would be in the summertime and continue exposing yourself to the water as it cools off into the autumn and the winter. There seems to be a threshold of 15 degrees Celsius or 60 degrees Fahrenheit, below which we deem the water to be cold. It's at these temperatures and below that we experience a biting or stinging when we immerse ourselves. It's as if we are being pricked by needles all over. We gasp for air as the cold receptors in our skin tell the brain to activate our sympathetic or fight-flight nervous system. In this instance, that manifests as a cold shock response, which sees a, a cascade of hormones and neurotransmitters putting our body into a state of alert. The best part, though, is this state is followed by a feeling of euphoria. Now, the author is at pains to accentuate the importance of gradual habituation to cold water over time. This way, you take baby steps and allow your body to get used to the cold water shock. Over time, the brain and body realise that there is no imminent danger to survival and you become better at handling the low temperatures of the water. Gradual habituation is also far less stressful for the heart. 
as cold water causes heart arrhythmia or irregular heartbeat, which can be very dangerous if one already has a heart problem. The author found that sometimes it was better for new winter swimmers to actually start exposing themselves to cold water in winter instead of summer. Now, this seems counterintuitive, but this was primarily because there would be less of a temperature difference between the air and the water in the winter. In the winter, the cold air will cool the body before getting into the water, which results in the water feeling less shockingly cold on immersion. Now, this is thanks to the cold air activating the cold receptors in the skin, which signal the brain to increase the production of norepinephrine and endorphins. It causes vasoconstriction of the peripheral vessels in the skin, which numbs the skin before you then immerse yourself in the cold water. As a result, you perceive the water to be less cold than if there was a huge temperature difference between the air and the water. When we immerse ourselves, the first few times, it can be a huge challenge for our mind and our bodies. But we are rewarded with a feeling of euphoria. And that's thanks to the endorphins, dopamine and noradrenaline that warm us up once we leave the water. A piece of advice is given here. And that's if you are new to winter swimming, choose to immerse yourself in the afternoon or evening because you are in fact more sensitive to the cold first thing in the morning as the body's temperature is the lowest when you wake. A good way to help habituate oneself to winter swimming is to avail of cold showers, which I've spoken about on this podcast before. Now, while the experience isn't entirely comparable as you are being showered by water droplets, as opposed to being completely immersed and experiencing the biting hydrostatic pressure of the water all around you against your skin, it is certainly worth doing as an alternative if you don't have access to open water outdoors. One study showed that participants who took cold showers for 30 days showed a 29% reduction in sick days. Studies also show improved quality of life and increased energy in those taking cold showers. So it's definitely something worth doing, again, in the absence of being able to swim or take a dip outdoors. If you do have access to open water, it's always important at the very beginning, especially to avoid windy days and days where there are high waves. This is because the wind will increase the chill factor that you experience once you have emerged from the water, which can make it very uncomfortable. But also because high waves mean there's a stronger flow of water around your body, which will mean your body will lose heat in the water even more quickly than it would if the cold water around you was still. Cold water will slow the blood flow to the brain. It will numb the face muscles and nerves and your ability to speak will be affected. But with habituation, the severity of these cold water exposure symptoms will lessen. Mental strategies exist for building one's habituation to cold water, but these should not be used the first time you go for a dip. Once you have gone several times, the body will become familiar with the cold and you can begin to increase the duration you're in the water for. It takes between 20 seconds and a minute for one to calm down as the skin temperature nears the water temperature and the nerves are numbed by the pain-relieving effect of endorphins and noradrenaline. So you feel less pain and less cold. The initial cold water shock and the stress that comes with it passes and then you begin to feel calmer. 
It can be beneficial to warm up one's muscles by doing star jumps before getting into the water. Focus on breathing in a controlled, calm manner, especially on the initial immersion. Indeed, initial swims should really only be for 5 to 10 seconds, increasing by 20 to 40 seconds per swim thereafter. Be sure to consume a hot drink when you come out. Don't swim alone, never after alcohol, and certainly never if you're feeling ill. When you enter the cold water, you will experience cold and the hydrostatic pressure of the water against the body that I mentioned earlier. The feeling of cold needles against the skin will only last for about 20 seconds, if you can can linger that long in the water. The cold receptors in the skin tell the brain, this is cold. The brain responds by activating the fight-flight nervous system and we see the constriction of blood vessels increased heart rate, brown fat activation, which creates heat, and all of this prevents the body becoming hypothermic. At the same time, the parasympathetic nervous system is activated, which then slows the heart rate and counteracts the vasoconstriction that was prompted by the sympathetic nervous system. These two opposing forces are happening simultaneously when we immerse ourselves in the cold water. With habituation, the length of cold shock response lessens, That is, you feel like hyperventilating for less and less time, which reduces your stress response. Which is a good thing because the cold shock causes a reduction of blood flow to the brain of about 30%. It also causes the heart rate to rocket by 30% and the respiratory rate doubles. Significantly, you don't have to put your head under the water to experience the cold shock response. This is why it is crucial to take a quick dip of mere seconds when first starting out swimming in winter. And if you feel dizzy, have blurred vision or speech, get out immediately. Now, while immersed in cold water, the body is working to survive what it perceives to be a threat to life, that being the cold water. It starts to make heat by ramping up metabolism to heat the blood. The stress response involves three hormones, adrenaline, noradrenaline and cortisol. In response to these, we see the production of endorphins, dopamine and serotonin, and neurosignaling to the brain, which combined gives us a feeling of euphoria, which is the main driver for enhanced mood and mental balance that accompany cold water swimming. Experienced winter swimmers undertaking brief swims of fewer than three minutes saw a fourfold increase in noradrenaline, which basically means they were producing large quantities of stress hormone on immersion, which activates brown fat that leads to an increase in body heat and metabolism, which is exactly what you want to see happening. Yes, the initial cold shock will be overwhelming, but the author says it is possible to build up physiological adaptations to stay in the water for longer. You're essentially aiming to balance the heat production and heat loss, so to improve any future immersions. And there are three ways of affecting that. Habituation, acclimatization, and insulation. Now, we touched upon habituation already, and this is when your physiological responses become less pronounced over time. So metabolic heat production increases and heat loss decreases. Metabolic acclimatization happens through two mechanisms, which improve the body's ability to produce and hold on to heat. This is down to brown fat activation and heat production via the shivering of the muscles. 
Now, brown fat starts producing heat the moment you get into the water. It's the noradrenaline production in response to the cold water receptor activation on the skin that causes the brown fat to activate in the first place. Brown fat is brown because it has a high number of mitochondria, which are energy makers in each cell. Muscles shivering produce heat simply through trembling. We become habituated to cold water due to changes which occur in the temperature-regulating centre in the brain. It becomes less sensitive to changes in skin temperature. It's as simple as that. It's possible that the more experienced you become at winter swimming, the more brown fat is activated and the longer it is likely to produce heat for so you can stay in the water for longer. We also see a form of insulation of the body when vasoconstriction occurs. This is the restricting the flow of blood to the skin and pulling it away to the core of the body. This is a large reason why seasoned swimmers can stay longer in the cold water. It's obviously a natural inclination to want to become stiff and tense up in response to the cold. We all shrug our shoulders, for example, when we're feeling a cold, biting wind. But according to the author, this is self-defeating, especially if we want to conquer winter swimming. Ultimately, to be able to immerse yourself in cold water, you must accept the cold. I like to call it inviting the cold in. Mentally, accepting the cold allows you to relax physically. And the sooner you do this, the sooner the process of habituation can begin. Something as simple as relaxing your shoulders can help you accept the cold. It helps calm you. It reduces your respiration and your heart rate. If you stop resisting, you open yourself up to the cold. And it does have to be said, your ability to cope with the cold will be influenced by your body composition. That is, your proportion of fat to muscle. The better the rate of fat to muscle, the better for you and the better your experience of cold water immersion. There have been very few studies researching the body's energy metabolization during exposure to cold, but the signs are good regarding the importance of the role of brown fat, which I mentioned earlier. We know that brown fat, which contains lots of mitochondria, or stores of energy, we know that it's activated when we are exposed to cold water. It produces heat as a result. Now, in America alone, almost 30 million people have diabetes. Almost 90 million are pre-diabetic. The main reason for this is diet and consumption of excess calories, which is stored as white fat under the skin and around the body's organs and can lead to systemic inflammation. People become diabetic because they become less sensitive to insulin, which causes a blood sugar imbalance. When cells don't recognise insulin, it isn't absorbed, leading to high levels of blood sugar, which cause diabetes. There is also an increase in fat deposits in blood vessels, leading to clots, stroke, cardiovascular disease, heart attacks and shortened life expectancy. Diet and lifestyle can positively affect outcomes of diabetes patients, but studies suggest cold water exposure might have positive effects on insulin sensitivity, and this is where our friend brown fat comes back in. Now, the largest deposit of brown fat on your body is around your neck and collarbone. We know that cold activates brown fat, causing it to produce heat. It also improves insulin sensitivity and and blood sugar balance. Persistent exposure to cold water can help create greater amounts of brown fat and improve insulin sensitivity. 
The interesting thing is, if you expose yourself to cold water, brown fat becomes activated in seconds. Now think about it. This way, we are able to influence the activation of brown fat in our bodies, the amount of brown fat, and thereby our health. The author refers to brown fat as our very own internal wood-burning stove that burns energy even when you're not exercising. Why do we have brown fat in the first place? Well, it was a source of heat for newborns who didn't have the muscle to shiver for warmth. As we get older, our brown fat levels fall. And as it happens, people with obesity and diabetes likely have very little brown fat, if any. However, if the existing brown fat can be activated, or indeed if more can be created, it may be possible to burn excess white fat even faster and for longer, only with cold water exposure. And this is incredibly exciting. And like white fat, brown fat communicates with the brain and other organs in the body. Again, this needs to be studied more, but is also incredibly exciting. It is very clear that there is something to be said for returning to what our ancestors did for many thousands of years, that is, exposing themselves to cold water, which is often accompanied by heat exposure through use of saunas. It's also beyond doubt at this stage that cold water exposure boosts us physically and mentally. I can attest to this myself, having been an open water swimmer and a cold shower taker for several years now. It's the mental challenge of embracing that momentary stress of exposing yourself to the cold that is so rewarding from a psychological perspective. And of course, this is due to the euphoria brought on by the hormones and that sense of accomplishment that you've overcome, that fear of the cold. There's also the significance of the shared experience when we choose to go for a winter swim with our friends. There is also the union with nature and the dichotomy between the natural world and our busy, tech-filled daily lives. Much research still needs to be done, but there is plenty of food for thought in Dr. Susanna Soberg's book, Winter Swimming. Definitely worth a read. Well, thank you for listening to this edition of the Happy Habit Podcast. Until next time, stay happy. (music) 